This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontiers, show number 13, and we'll say lucky number 13, recorded on November 24th, 2014. Here on Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity and big data and the technologies that are shaping the future, all from an academic perspective. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in sunny and beautiful Bellevue, Nebraska. And we post this post we post this show with world-class show notes out at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can contact us. Send us an email, Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. You can find me on Twitter, at Jay Collison. And this week, Christian just blew past me on Twitter. Just You guys didn't help me at all. I just want to, if you're a listener to this show and you haven't followed me on Twitter, you didn't help me. I'm just saying, Christian just blew past me. And uh, we might talk about that towards the end of the show. Or you can call in those questions, 402-478-8450, and we'll play those questions right here on the program. And then I want to say, joining me tonight from the safety and the confines of Prince Frederick Hall there at uh, University of Maryland College Park, Christian and Ashton. Christian, how are you? Hey, I'm hanging in there. Uh, going on Thanksgiving break, which means I get to take my drive back up to the homeland, so looking forward to that. And can you get to your homeland? I can get to the homeland. The homeland is, is now, well, it would have been accessible either way. It just would have been how much extra driving I had to do to get around the banned roads. But uh, Are they digging yeah. out? Is, is Gary doing all right? Well, yeah. So we were on the other side of the snow wall, so that was helpful. Okay. But um, the big thing now is the, the flooding because it got warm. It got in the 50s today with the, the warm front on our coast. And then, uh, you know, where does that seven foot of snow melt to? So, but it looks like they're doing relatively okay, so. All right, good. Glad, glad to hear it. And Gary, I hope you didn't yeah. have to dig out too much. No, and he, he, he got a new toy for Christmas, a really large snow plower, so he's in, he's in heaven. Very cool. Well, and then next door, let's introduce Ashton. Ashton, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to showing some cool demos. I think Christian's got one ready as well, so it should be a, a fun time. Yeah, good. Well, we'll get right to it. And if you've been a listener to the show for a while, and uh, we, we try to get all things cybersecurity, big data, the guys have some demos. If you're listening to the audio version of this, this might be the one time you actually want to head over to the YouTube channel. So head over to theaverageguy.tv slash, and this will be uh, CF013. That'll get you right to it, or just search uh, Cyber Frontiers 13 in the, in the uh, search box there at theaverageguy.tv, or... If you haven't subscribed to the videos yet, we have all those feeds available for you. Just go to theaverageguy.tv slash subscribe. All right, who wants to kick it off? I'm going to go ahead and punt the uh, opening play here. Um, I, you know, one of the big, not necessarily problems, but what, it, it's definitely a barrier for people who are just interested in learning, like, data science and big data technologies, but they may not necessarily know, like, well, what do I have to, you know, analyze that's considered big data, right? And so a lot of people grumble about this, even people who are, like, well in the community who want to do this stuff for fun that, you know, it isn't a data set for work or for some other thing. It's just, like, their data set. You know, a lot of people grumble over that. Um, what we have sitting in front of all of our eyes, though, is something that has become massively powerful. And um, I'm arguing that it will be the social media um, medium that outlives the other major players, uh, primarily things like Facebook, and that is Twitter. Twitter provides a really, really unique interface, not just for real-time conversation and for you know having you know millions and millions of users, but this notion of the data being streaming all the time and 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 as a data scientist trying to analyze what tweets are going to come to you when is is no certain thing, right? I mean, no one really, unless you work at Twitter, you, you developed it yourself, no one really knows exactly how the tweet that you see is what's in your feed and how that might vary from the next guy who's logged in. Um, and so just in general, Twitter allows us to do a lot of interesting things with trend analysis, what people are thinking, um, and this is cool because this overlaps with a lot of big data um, concepts. Uh, one of the larger ones that is clearly part of technologies like IBM Watson is sentiment analysis, right? Twitter is one of the greatest um, sandboxes in the in the world 
for doing and learning how to engage with sentiment analysis, which is the analytics of bodies of text and keywords to figure out positive or negative emotions and how they impact the larger understanding of the text. So what we wanted to do is start, as we said you know, a couple shows ago, put some real-world uh, uh, use cases that are applicable to you that you can go ahead and follow along and see how these things might be beneficial. And of course, this is taking advantage of the um, big data platform that Ashton and I covered a couple shows back. Um, and so we really wanted to show kind of some old school attempts at how one might go about doing this, some of the newer stuff. So what you're going to get tonight is kind of a kicker into what I call exploring the Twitterverse through big data, uh, hence the title of this show and really just see some kind of basic ways that you can interface and access Twitter to do some of this yourself. Um, and then we'll start looking tonight at some of the big data techniques and approaches to um, go ahead and look at some of the same things and how some approaches might be better than others. Does that sound like a plan, Ashton? Sounds good to me. All right, so uh, I guess I'll go ahead then and start with uh, giving an overview of the Twitter API. So. What's really cool about the Twitter API is, again, anyone can go ahead and access the Twitter API. So if you head out to developer.twitter.com, I think that's the right URL, um, you can log in with your Twitter account and get a um, create, basically, a access token. And it's going to give you, it'll basically let you build your own application, right? You can just ignore the application part of it. What you really want is four key things it's going to give you. It'll give you a consumer, uh, what's called the consumer key, a consumer secret, an access key, and an access token. And all of these things are really just so that you can authenticate your account with Twitter through your software, through your program and platform. So um, we both, both Ash and I for the demos tonight used a library called Twitter 4J, which is a really nice wrapper for the Twitter HTTP API that allows you to very quickly authenticate and start working with Twitter data. And you almost, you know, you hardly have to study any of the Twitter API to be able to get involved in the source code, which is really great. Um, one of the big limitations early on that normally takes, you know, two or three days for people to um, get through is the um, the, the OAuth authorization to be able to, you know, connect and pull from Twitter. But, you know, this package, you're going to download it and put it into Java, and, you know, all of a sudden you're going to be able to go ahead and start connecting to Twitter. So what can I do with that? So if you take a look at my screen, which is coming up here in a sec, um, hopefully it's large enough. Maybe it's not. Um, and let's see if I can do a... Yeah. Zoom in if you can a little bit, Christian. It's just yeah, Ashton, do you remember the zoom key on uh... on Windows or on Eclipse? Eclipse. Uh, the Let's font see. size, I don't know, but uh, control mouse. Nope. Let's try this again. Well, in any case, um, well, I try and figure this out. Um, Ashton, why don't you go ahead and give a quick overview of some of the other technologies that we're going to cover with this, and then once I get this zoomed in, we'll pick back off where I left off here. Okay, well, uh, let me just give a quick overview of the technology I used, which is called Storm, um, and I've had the opportunity to work with this a little bit with my internship, but basically what it is is a real-time distributed processing application. So it takes in, it has a couple different uh, basic basic components that it uses. So let me just, actually it would probably help if I could show a picture of that. So let me share my screen for a second here. Um, and show you the storm docs. Alright. So here's, uh, first, let me show you the Twitter API. This is where you go uh, to register for your keys. Actually, I think you need to make an application. I'm trying to remember exactly how to get, how to do that. But the, the dev.twitter.com is the, the location that you start at. Okay. Um, so anyway, Storm is the name of the application I was using. And it is fundamentally made up of these parts. Let's see if I can get a little image. Um, here we go. 
So let me bring this up for you guys. All right, so you have... I'm not sure if that's big enough to see, but that's hopefully good. you get good. the idea. Um, so you have a, a DAG or a directed acyclic graph of, uh, of processing that you want to do on, on data. So it starts at the spout, and the spout for us is going to be the, the queries to Twitter. Um, and I'll qualify that in a second because I didn't implement this perfectly, but the, the spout is where the tweets are coming from for all intents and purposes here. Uh, then we have a number of bolts, which are where the individual functions are called, essentially. And the cool thing about these is they can be uh, used in a in multiple threads for each bolt, and additionally, the bolts can run on different nodes in the cluster. So all of that is handled by uh, Trident, which is a layer on top of Storm, but basically the, the application handles the, the location of these bolts so that it's very efficient throughput. Um, and then finally, these arrows that you see are, are called streams, and those are the connections between the bolts, so that's the data moving in between them. Um, I made a diagram for the, the directed acyclic graph, or the, the storm topology that I was using, uh, and I'll try and show that. I'm not sure how well it's going to come out on the little camera I have, uh, if I can stop screen sharing. Okay. And, all right, so I have mine here. Let's see if I can get that on the screen. Yeah. Um, back just a smidge. Is Perfect. That, yeah. Okay. Perfect. So in the upper corner, you have Twitter uh, that's coming down from the spout. And then it is, uh, can't even see what I have down there, but essentially it's, it's counting the letters in each tweet to uh, figure out how many times they each occur aggregating those and finally storing them in the database, which is displayed in the UI in that bottom corner. Uh, in addition, in the middle there, you see the the tweets themselves are being stored. So uh, there's two things that are being stored, the tweets and the, the counts of every letter in the tweets, which is what I'm tracking. Perfect. Um, so, yeah. So now that Ashton's kind of given you an overview, one of the first things he showed there was he's pulling in tweets, right? So how do we do that? So if you take a look at my screen now, um, you'll here is my Eclipse workbench where I write Java code because I like Java. Um, and Java is the language of big data. And so it's kind of the easiest, it's the most accessible thing to work with a variety of different tools. So again, um, you can see here my import statements for Twitter 4J. That's the library that automates a lot of the stuff for Twitter. So you're going to see that pretty much almost anyone who has, you can have very little um, coding experience and get this uh, portion of it to work. So uh, this is a great place to get started. So um, this is my driver class. This is where the program is going to start its execution. Um, and so I created a class called TweetMiner that takes the four things that I need to authorize with Twitter, my consumer keys secret, access token, and access secret. Now these are given to you by Twitter, um, so you you know just put them into this structure. And then I get an authorization instance. And once I get this instance of the class back, I'll be authorized for all future transactions. And to see what that looks like in detail, I basically just created a very small class that takes those parameters you gave it, and creates a configuration builder that passes it off to the actual Twitter 4J library. So in 20 lines of code, um, I was able to fully authorize and connect to Twitter, and that was just to make it super object-oriented, proper, and whatnot. I could have easily done it in five if I had wanted to, right? Okay. And so, just one, one quick note about that. You actually can also use, if you don't want to store the keys in the code, I don't know, is that, did you have the codes in... Yeah, I have my keys stored in the code, so if you really want yeah. to be that guy, you can. But um, and yeah, I so there also is built-in support for Twitter, uh, Twitter 4J. The way I did it, I made a properties file right. called Twitter 4J uh, properties or something like that, and it just reads from there. So that way, if I wanted to distribute this code, um, that wouldn't be included. So people could use their own authorization codes, and you wouldn't have any worries about you know, distributing a secret key that is yours. Right. right. And notice, too, um, this configuration builder is basically building that properties file that Ashton is describing in memory, so that's what's going on there. But, yeah, very good. So 
Authorization is boring, so let's get past that. Um, you can see my comment here, use streaming API to be awesome, because everything is awesome, and everything is cool when you're part of a team. So <laughs> this uh, code right here is the byproduct like of... The music, Christian? Yeah. Or? Like, oh, yeah, I like the music. <laughs> no, thank you. So what I'm doing here is this is called a status listener. Now, you can look at the Twitter 4J library, and it'll tell you pretty much everything you need to do. I mean, right, this is very, like, read the doc, and it walks you step by step. So nothing too crazy here. Um, but the gist of this is that I build a status listener, and what this is doing is it's watching the stream of new tweets happening around the world from Twitter. So just anything and everything flying out of people's Twitter's account is going to be coming into this program. So what I wanted to do as my proof of concept is to build a file that has all the geolocations of where these tweets are com coming from. So you may or may not see where I'm going with this, right? So I build a, a file object where I'm storing all these geo coordinates, right? And I say, is if the tweet has metadata, right, that has a geolocation, please plot the latitude and longitude into a text file for me and buffer that out. That's all this code does. That's all I did. And, and this formally adds the, the listener with my authorization token, and then this part runs in an infinite loop as the new tweets are coming in. That's the best way to think about it. So what you get when you run that is in this bottom box here. Um, and so you're like, well, what do I do with that? Um, but all of this really is right now is I, I pared it down so that all it's printing out to the council in real time is latitude and longitude, right? So this is actually a, a fair representation of where tweets are being tweeted out from in the world as we're speaking right now. And so I went ahead and plotted these to give you an idea. So... Um, yeah, so right, so this is just in the last couple hours, and again, keep in mind this is a, what I call a representative um, sample. So let me start at a base case here that is understandable. Okay, so we're going to start in Washington, D.C., and you can see this um, blue radius right here. This is the radius of where I'm located, so if you want to come say hello to me, find me in this radius. Um, <laughs> And this point right here is me, um, geolocated, uh, to Paint Branch Drive, which is actually pretty incredible how close and scary they've gotten these tracking technologies to be when you allow them to be tracking. So this is me, right? And in the last hour, I can see, hey, someone else tweeted on campus, and this is approximately, right, where they tweeted from. So that's pretty cool, right? And again, it's I'm not getting all the tweets in the world at once. That would actually be uh, like a buffer overflow, and my computer would crash, probably. Not really, but probably. Think of it like that. Too much data, right? So the Twitter stream, you don't really know what's happening when, is how I like to think of it. Um, so, again, representative sample, but let's zoom out now and see what's going on in the East Coast. So the East... Yeah, so, yeah go so, ahead. Sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, um, the the way the, the streaming API works for Twitter is if you are not a particularly special user of the, or not a particularly special developer, you will only be able to get what's called the garden hose instead of the fire hose. So you could, the, the garden hose is just a, a random sample of all the tweets, and that's what we're looking at here. And the fire hose is all of the tweets, but most people don't have access to that. Um, so just an interesting thing to keep in mind. Right. I mean, yeah. for most intents and purposes, the random sample is enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, very good. So, I mean, we can see, though, uh, a lot of activity on the eastern seaboard. Zoom out, though. This is what I find really interesting. Man, what's going on with the Midwest? They're just quiet, like super quiet. Um, They're not tweeters out here. Yeah. So um, that was interesting to see, I guess, for me at least. But taking back at a larger picture, we can see that um, no matter the time of day or night, Europe is super active on the Twitter sphere right now. The U.S. East Coast is. Argentina's tweeting up a storm. Um, and obviously we can see also where people don't really subscribe to Twitter, um, notably China. Um, surprisingly, Canada. I wasn't really aware of that. Um, and obviously Africa, which has limited uh, Internet connectivity. So, I mean, this is just a representation or a validation that my random sample is telling me things that should be true, right? I know that these data points are, are valid, so that's cool to see. Um, I uh, So because we're recording this on the night of Ferguson, 
um, the, the verdict at Ferguson, I tried to do a small time lapse of how the points were changing over time around that area. Surprisingly, I didn't find a correlation. So this was the um, second time plot that I took after the initial one in which you just saw. Um, and here's St. Louis, right? Not a lot of activity um, in the whole state, right? So I found that pretty interesting. If we go again to the third one, um, same, same, same ordeal. You know, some stuff around St. Louis, but not not a disproportionate amount in the state of Missouri in comparison to what we're seeing on the East Coast. Now, keep in mind, I'm just sampling random tweets right now. If I had focused the trend analysis to be specifically on Ferguson, it probably would be painting a very different picture. So, no real way for me to corroborate, but we can just say at least that you know. I didn't see any particular pattern leading up to the news, um, but again, as of now, it looks kind of like, uh, with the exception of, exception of China, it looks pretty much like a population density map. Right. Um, yeah, that know. would make sense with the amount of Twitter users yeah. that are out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, this is really again a proof of concept. Now, let's say I didn't want to. Um, I wanted to switch gears and actually see what these messages are. I mean, this is a really kind of straightforward thing, right? So, right now I'm recording the latitude and the longitude. So let me go ahead and stop this. Um, and what we can do is quickly switch it out. So I'm going to stop the program in Eclipse. And this line right here, status.getUserName and get text, will start printing the tweets to the council. Um, now, notice that um, one of the problems with this that I'm going to have to work on is because languages throughout the world are in different character encodings, I get a lot of question marks from some of the foreign languages. So eventually, um, I will probably make a filter to do only English so that I can understand and analyze the data. But if we go ahead and save this now with the um, tweets being printed and reprint, now we might see a very interesting picture. So now we see, okay, Maria Flores tweets, when you're all about to watch Netflix, you literally have to assume that that's Okay, we're going to filter accordingly. Um, but as you can see, Twitter has a lot of trash, a lot of good stuff. But um, So you're actually getting... I can't believe I read that on air. I'm sorry. He's going to be I'm a celebrity now. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, it's all right, man. So, uh, but yeah, so you can see now where these conversations are and the specific um, thing. So actually now we're seeing some Ferguson stuff, so stop asking for the jury vote breakdown. So yeah, there's some conversation around that. Notice though, a lot of this data set is tweeting um, some international stuff too. So if we were to reconcentrate our population around the United States, it would probably again look different. Uh, question on chat, so does the randomness give a somewhat accurate uh, picture of the number of overall tweets? A little bit hard to tell, to be honest. Ashton, do you want to take that one? I mean, I, there, there's no insight, as far as I can tell, into how Twitter decides which uh, tweets to send you when you ask for that sample. I would assume it tries to be a representative sample. I don't know what exactly that means, whether it's literally like, here's all of the ones available in the last five seconds and pick randomly among those, or how exactly that works. Um, right. So, I, I mean, uh, there may be, I mean, there might be documentation on how that's decided, but I doubt that you're going to be able to see into that black box of how exactly Twitter decides to do that. Sure. Yeah. No, but I mean, the representative sample, the random sampling, is, is still just as powerful, I argue, because it will teach you techniques in filtering, right? So, um, one of the big things is step one of any big data experiment is to build a really smart data set that you can find good analytics with. And so designing, designing and engineering our data sets is one of the most important parts of all that we do regardless of the platform or how we analyze it after. So what we're showing you right now is actually the most important step, which is learning how to get the data, bring it to your system, and then kind of trim it down to what you want. So for example, if I wanted to trim it down to the United States only, I can look at these uh, string, or I can look at the geo coordinates for the latitude and longitude, and we know by the power of Google what the range of latitude and longitude is for the United States. So 
if I literally go to Google and type in latitude and longitude of the United States, right, it's going to give me a, a center point, right, which is 38 north by 77 west. Um, and so if we go to Maps of World, which is even better, um, we can see that the map of the United States is approximately between... Oh, well, it zoomed in. I didn't want that. It's a... Sorry. It's approximately between, I believe... Yeah, there we go. 30 north and uh, we'll call that about 50 north and from... What is that? Uh, yeah, 30 to, 30 to 60 latitude and our longitude seems to be about 120 to 70, right? So what we could do then is go to our coordinates here and just, you know, like any good programmer, add an if statement that says, um, you know, uh, if, we'll just make this up, if the uh, geolocation that we get back, the latitude is less than um, 120, or, geolocation. So, yeah, less than 60, sorry, this is latitude, and is greater than 30, then we do the print. And we would do the same for um, longitude. So I guess if we actually want to see this, because our live listeners might want some validation. So uh, let's go ahead and do this. But Ashton, do you have any comments while I prep this one up? Um, no, I was just... I, what might be interesting is to see whether there is... There probably is a library that can give you the countries associated with each uh, latitude and longitude, so that might be an interesting thing to Yeah, out. so Twitter has, like, it will tell you, like, the locations, and you can filter that um, using Twitter, but I think it's cool to just show, like, here's a here's an engineering yeah. approach to... Yeah, you can kind of arbitrarily this. do it this way. Yeah, so I'm going to need to go ahead and put this if statement around the whole thing. And this is better than what I am doing for, for Storm, because... Um, the the way that the stream works is it is a publish it's it's a producer so when you create the stream you need to listen to it uh, you need to create that listener and that, I think that's what Christian's in right now um, so this listener listens to the sample that's being provided by the stream uh, I didn't do that when I made mine with Storm so it it needs that it needs that extra like buffer layer of a queue where it's being produced to by the stream, and Storm consumes from it. Uh, so instead, mine just queries the most recent um, tweets on my feed, which is not nearly as exciting as, as this, but uh, just something to keep in mind if you're interested in doing it real-time with Storm. Sure. Yeah, so, um, so here we go. I went ahead and put in some loose parameters for the, where the United States is, and now we can see the new tweets coming in. Um, I don't know if I did that 100% right. It looks to be... I'm seeing some Spanish, so my range might be a bit large and picking up some Mexico, um, but I'm seeing a lot of Ferguson now, right? So what would be really interesting, just as like a like a really, if we wanted to see exactly what was going on in Ferguson with our source code, we could quickly narrow the band of the... Uh, latitude, or excuse me, the longitude to just be where the state of Missouri is defined. Um, and then we would see um, what what the conversation is. But I mean, we're seeing um, Ferguson conversation right in this feed that's streaming right now. Um, and we're seeing a, a big combination of, it's all either English or Spanish. So we're within the range. So my source code on the fly isn't that all that off. So that just gives you an overview of, it's a very powerful platform, right? There's a lot of parameters you can filter with. I think geo-coordinates is probably the easiest for people to kind of think about quickly and understand, but there's a lot of other data points that you can use about the user, about the hashtags and the trends. So again, the first thing is build a great data set. So I encourage you to do a couple things. Number one is go ahead and try this source code out. I think I will post this source code publicly for you guys so that you can consume it and modify it as you please because I think this is like a really great way to kind of consume and learn. How do I get involved in kind of the 
foundations of analyzing Twitter. And then we'll do a part two of exploring the Twitterverse where we specifically look at how these technologies in MapReduce and Storm and so forth um, is uh, able to either help us better do analytics and what a regular software program can do. I also encourage you to pick up this book if you're an interested programmer. Uh, it's an O'Reilly book called Mining the Social Web, Data Mining Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google+, GitHub, and more. This is actually one of the most, I think, um, it's one of the best texts out there for, I would say, beginner through intermediary on these types of topics. And they do some advanced work in using machine learning, which is a big topic in uh, data science, and how, how one might apply machine learning and clustering techniques to tweets, which I think would be great to show on the show as well. So again, a lot of different ways to get involved in this content. So go take a look at the source code, maybe pick up a copy of this book if you can spare the 15 bucks to pick it up. Um, both of those are great ways to consume content. Um, you might be asking, well, maybe I'm so, I, you know, I like Twitter, but I'm not really sure as if I want to just use Twitter to learn data science. Well, fine. What I'll show you now is, may blow your mind, may not. It, I hope it doesn't, but anyway, um, I'll try. I'll try to be that, that amazing person that you want me to be. Um, so I'm going to go back and share my screen, and we are going to reveal the secret behind uh, how I beat Jim Collison's Twitter followers in less than two minutes. And <laughs> you, had, you had to rub it in. Didn't you? I, I, sorry, I just had to give that a title. Um, so the, the challenge here was Jim has uh, amassed a pretty substantial number of followers on Twitter, and I have just, you know, I've been, been in the lowly... Um, the, the lowly 100s, 200s, I think, for, like, because I wasn't really a big uh, tweeter, right? So I was like, well, maybe there's a way for me to make this accelerate really fast without having to, um, you know, go ahead and always be at the terminal, being a Twitter head, and committing my life to this thing. I wanted to find a hybrid of... Um, something that would allow me to both w use Twitter as I was a regular user and also um, have some some what I call intelligence. It's really just a computer being dumb, but uh, a computer taking actions based off rules that I defined in such a way that no matter whether I'm sleeping or awake, um, I'm chopping at the bit of picking up 1,700 followers in less than two months. So... The official challenge I set for myself was I started this. You can see the source code uh, is dated uh, September 19th. So that's really when I started using this technique. And today, or it was on uh, November 20th, um, was when I picked up the number of followers that I wanted for my proof of concept. So I picked up approximately 1,500 followers in two months using this technique. And so I think we'll, we'll dedicate part two of our show to being more focused on how one's going to analyze data, I really wanted to go ahead and also show this because this is another application of just how powerful or interesting you can make Twitter uh, if you want some interesting um, source code experiments. So this is a little bit different from the, um, the Java days, right? This is Python. So Python is a very... Um, Many people should be familiar with Python. It's really just a, I call it the human scripting language, right? It's very loosely typed. You can get away with a lot in Python. It's just designed, in my opinion, to be a quick and dirty way to um, program um, tasks and jobs. And, of course, the OpenStack people would give me a very dirty look because they built a whole cloud infrastructure with multiple millions of lines of code on Python, and congratulations to them. But this is really a scripting language, right? I like to think of it as like a JavaScript of, of Java, which is a very confusing analogy, so disregard it accordingly. <laughs> um, so, again, we see our usual. I used a Twitter library for Python to make my life easy, and I give it my usual authorization parameters just like I did in Java. So the technique I used is um, I came up with kind of three initial assumptions about Twitter followers. There are three types of followers out on Twitter. Number one is the reader, and the reader is someone who's interested in following a lot of people 
but isn't interested in being popular on Twitter. They just use it as almost like a news aggregator or an RSS feed. And they are prospective people who you want to target to be your fans, right? So people who you may or may not have to follow back. The second type is celebrity, and these are like the Katy Perry's of Twitter, right? These are the people who, it doesn't matter what they put on Twitter, they're going to have millions and millions of followers because everyone thinks that person is awesome, right? Um, this is something that the average software Joe is never going to be able to attain, so don't even try it, right? Um, the third type, though, is where I make my uh, my gains and maximize on the infrastructure of Twitter. And this is what I call the one-to-one -one follower. And these are people who are very interested in putting content out on Twitter and being active in Twitter, um, and but they also want a big followership, right? They want to have their own voice and their own piece of the pie. And so this interesting social currency has taken place on Twitter where I'll follow you if you follow me. And it's a very strange, bizarre currency that has a lot of nuance um, rules to it. Like, uh, I, you know, a lot of people will follow for 10 minutes, unfollow. I mean, it's, it really is a game at the end of the day. But we can take aside some of those initial assumptions and work this to our advantage, right? So put that in the back of your mind and let's walk through this source code. So I'm interested in pretty much anything I talk about Twitter, I keep it very focused. I'm talking about one of three things, cybersecurity, Big Data, or uh, Comedy Friday, which is when I post something really geeky and nerdy that a lot of people laugh and retweet, so it must be going well. Uh, those are the only things that I like to tweet about because I like to keep things relevant. Um, what this means is out of all the tweets that are out on Twitter in that stream I was telling you about, I'm only interested in looking at other people who are conversing about the subjects that I'm interested in, right? Because what is one of the one of the cool things about Twitter, right, is that we can um, grow our professional network, grow our learning understanding, and and grow our ability to communicate with other professionals in our field through this technology, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter and so forth. Um, and so from this, I can then take these keywords and follow the Twitter stream and find all of the people who are talking about these subjects. So these are some hashtags that I'm interested in, right? IBM Watson, people talking about big data and cloud security, um, people talking about Spark and Hadoop, right? So I come up with these base set of keywords, and these are topics that I'm frequently talking about myself, so it's a nice mix to have, right? Um, so then I say, okay, here's my Twitter handle, here's what time zone I'm in, that's just my time offset. Um, and this is called the inactive time parameter. This just means how long, what is the minimum threshold that my account should wait for before it tweets something on my behalf. So my script goes through this huge loop, and I'm not really going to, it's just, there's a lot of text here, so let's ignore it, but think of it this way. Um, there's this huge loop running, and it's running concurrently every 25 seconds of every hour of every day. It's just running every 25 seconds. This code happens. And what it does is it looks at the 10 most recent tweets about those topic areas that I defined. And if, my, if I haven't been on Twitter talking about the stuff I usually do for more than you know a couple hours, it will pick a random time interval in somewhere between two and three hours to retweet someone else's content area that is related to the areas I'm interested in. This keeps followers that are engaged in my subject matter getting credible news sources through me, but really in the voice of someone else. It also builds some social engagement and credibility with your following, your followership. The other approach is, um, or sorry, the other thing that the, the following loop does is if it sees that someone who's talking about this subject matter um, is within this one-to-one -one follower ratio ship that I've defined as being, you know, he has a relative equal number of people following him as he does followers, and he has at least, like, 450 followers, for example. So he's built up some credibility in the system, right? If those parameters are met, my account will instantly follow that person, regardless of whether or not it retweeted about what they were talking about. Um, and from there, I about once a week go through and I look at the things that were followed and unfollowed, and I will go about once a week, anything that's kind of out of the ordinary or is something I'm not interested in, about once a week I'll go back and unfollow those individuals. Uh, but very quickly this snowballs and I have averaged about 
50 new followers a day minimum, of which um, I would say about 40 are people who I would be interested in having future conversations with and continuing to follow. So this is just another example of how you can use Twitter to your advantage if you're trying to build a presence. But this is also really helpful for me now because now I can use Twitter to... I can use... I can target my feed that we were showing earlier in the Java example for big data, I can just point it to my particular user feed instead of the whole Twitterverse and um, you know instantly narrow it down more to the subject matter that I'm interested in. So this is actually in reality a convoluted way of creating a huge filter on Twitter of the content that you're interested in learning more about. Um, so again, this showed you two different languages you can engage with the Twitter API. It showed you that it did not take me a long time to write either of these, and it's very easy to, at a basic level, start printing out tweets into your program from other things. Um, from there, what we want to do is we want to start streaming all of this data into the Hadoop cluster directly, where we can do some advanced analytics. Well, what do I mean by advanced analytics? Um, I mentioned earlier one of the big things I would like to show is sentiment analysis. And this is where we show how conversations are progressing as being positive or negative based on the types of words, nouns, adjectives that are being used, right? So one of the, um, it's the equivalent of the hello world of big data uh, software development is called word count. In word count, we actually use now to benchmark our systems, and the premise is very simple. You have a huge body of text with millions and millions of words, and the MapReduce job should count the frequency of each word showing in this large body of text. Maybe it's terabytes in size, right? What if we do that with Twitter, right? We build a data set that is a huge volume of Twitter tweets, and we do a, a word count demo on Twitter. What this will very uh, quickly let us do is find out which words are the most popular. And we've almost built our own what's trending now on Twitter just by doing that alone. We can then use those words and compare them to common positive and negative adjectives in the dictionary to build a very rudimentary but accurate representation of what sentiment analysis might look like in advanced big data platform. So we're going to show that with our platform and we're going to keep bringing in the source code demos, but hopefully you're starting to catch on by now that, you know, this is stuff that we can play with as, as data hackers and as geeks. We can, we can build up some creds sitting in our basement doing this. You don't need that enterprise Hadoop cluster to learn the data concepts that are going on around here. So um, I hope that's some incentive to stay with these topics. Um, I want to make an interesting note um, as I, now that my ramble is in full gear here, um, talking about um, a subject that I'm going to be posting on my blog, my personal blog, where I just rant about more ph philosophical things when I can. Um, I'm writing a blog post right now that's called um, the, the Promise of the Internet is Real. And not only is it real, but it's changing in ways we haven't expected. And what do I mean by that? Um, the initial promise of the internet for the average person, the average guy, was that it would connect us in ways we couldn't imagine, right? Just the fact that we're running this podcast right now, you know, thousands of miles apart, that we're doing all this coordination, that we're able to talk to you is a huge feat in human evolution and it, in its ability to communicate. Um, and so I, I find it remarkable that, you know, the power of the internet and commuting, communicating and connecting to us is real. I mean, I can't say enough about some of the really fascinating, quirky, interesting, cool stuff that has happened because I've been on a podcast talking to you, whether it's answering one of your emails, whether it's, you know, going out for a cup of coffee to talk about something. I mean, we have great conversations, and when we can do some of that stuff in person because of what technology did, I, it, it blows my mind every day and will continue to do so. So that's my premise of the promise of the Internet is real, and my blog post will go into much more detail about the, the physics and optics and philosophy of that. But one of the interesting applications to Twitter here is we have evolved and and you're gonna you, you may think this is heresy when I say this but let it let it simmer is what I like to say um, the way in which we communicate is changing because we no longer just communicate by us running our conversations I just showed to you a working proof of concept that I fooled over a thousand people into thinking that, I was also, that this whole time it was purely my conversation. Now yes, a lot of times I'm providing anecdotes, a lot of times the tweets are coming from me. 
but I mixed machine representing me and my own language. So it's a it's a it's a little bit of a stretch, but it's a fair assumption to say that machines are just starting to actually communicate on our behalf. And when we sit sit back and think about what that notion means as this technology progresses, it has some very interesting implications for where we're going with communication and with this technology. Um, but you know, it goes back to one of the early shows when I talked about I think the Alice chatbot and that the test for Alan Turing, uh, Alan Turing Award is can a machine fool at least 35% of the judges in a closed case environment that um, the judge is talking to a human and not a computer. And uh, we've gotten much closer to that. There was actually one test that was conducted in England where that was passed for the first time in history in over 50 years. I don't know if that um, record has... Um, stood or not, but it's certainly a feat. But we're getting closer to that era where machines may be talking on our behalf or machines may be fooling us into thinking we're talking to other humans. So I think there's going to be some interesting evolutions in identity as we go forward in what the promise of the internet communicating to us means. Um, I think that we're still seeing kind of, you know, Twitter is very unique because it is one of the few social networks that is both social like Facebook but also has a huge population of machines, right? There are a huge number of Twitter accounts that are just automated bots and yet people still follow them and use them because it gives them valuable information. So how does this landscape continue to evolve as we merge man and machine in our social lives on the internet I think is a fascinating topic um, which I'm going to go more into in The Promise of the Internet is Real. So if you're in one of my circles you'll look out and you'll see that post but that was kind of my final word on how this relates. Um, I'm going to stop talking on purpose and probably not talk until Ashton says we're done for the night. Go. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't want to cut uh, Jim too close with his next podcast. Do I have... No, we're good. we got plenty of time. We're good? Okay. Well, uh, I, actually, first I want to ask a quick question to Christian because I'm curious. Uh, is Twitter doing anything to try and stop... I, I, don't, I don't really use Twitter, to be fair. So maybe this is like common knowledge. Uh, but does Twitter do anything to try and prevent the bots from posting for people? No, it's like completely, it basically completely encouraged, right? Because a lot of the accounts are just automated. So as long as you're not abusing the rate limits of the API, it's just, it's part of the experience, which is what mm -hmm. I find fascinating. Because like in Facebook, we would never, right? In Facebook, we can do the same thing, right? We can, can, we can code a software program to post on our behalf, but very few people would have machine bots posting for their personal profile on Facebook. But the boundary isn't really as well defined in Twitter. A lot more people are okay with it. I was okay with it because the, I wrote the program in such a specific way that it was doing what I call Twitter maintenance, which is being an addict on your phone and following this stuff constantly. It was taking some calculated decisions for me that I considered safety within the parameters, whereas I'm not necessarily getting that um, in, a, in a Facebook environment. They're just different social spheres. Okay, cool. Well, shifting gears a little bit, uh, I have my demo, which I'll bring up on here. Um, and so I, just to like kind of recap with the, if I can get my screen to show, hold on. Um, the, the diagram I showed before kind of captured it well, but I'll just walk through it again. So the first thing we have is um, the... There's the source of Twitter where where the tweets are coming from, uh, and then what I'm doing is I'm counting the number of letters in uh, in each tweet and aggregating those, and then storing them in a database. Uh, and then finally, I have this user interface here, which displays the occurrences for all of them. So hopefully, you can see that um, the it says year here. That should say letter. This is a uh, Google visualization chart, so. I just pulled that off, and uh, it was really easy to set up. Like I set it up in a couple hours today, um, on pretty short notice. So, the flaw in my design that I realize now is I should have used what Christian's using with the streaming API instead of just making queries to my feed because I'm pretty sure I'm getting the same uh, or a lot of overlap in my queries every time I ask. Uh, but it is a the the, the power of Storm is that it's uh, very easy to scale what you have. So if you just have a couple more virtual machines or nodes that you want to add to this, it's as simple as changing your um, 
you know, the number, the, the servers that can be used by this application, and it will immediately scale to those, um, and you can then just add more parallelism, and the whole thing will run faster. So uh, I hope to have something more like what Christian has in the future, where you can kind of have like a global um, letter or word count, but Storm is another important tool that I would definitely recommend if you're interested in doing some real-time analysis uh, because it's just so versatile and it's it's not it's not awful to learn so uh, those are two really great features of it so um, that's pretty much all I have for now I need some more time to like I might start doing things with words next like Christian was talking about the the nice thing is that it does it on the fly before it's even inserted to the database or while it's inserted to the database. So that's kind of different than the way things are often done with like Hadoop or um, you know regular programs that might just have to listen to streams and do one thing at a time. All of the bolts in this thread or all of those individual points that you saw on that diagram are running simultaneously, which makes it really powerful. Uh, so that's pretty much all I have to, to show for this week. But uh, if there's anything else you guys have to kind of wrap it up. Christian, anything? No, I mean, I think that's a wrap. Like I said, this is going to be the groundwork, and then next week we'll, uh, oh, or next time we're back, we'll get more into the actual platform side of it. Yeah, one, one thing I wanted to mention is um, the the main piece that I'm missing and what I'd like to have ready for the next, uh, it, maybe I could even write a post about this on Cyber Frontier Labs, but the, the piece I'm missing right now is something, is a queue. So I need something to read, the tw something like a middle piece between uh, Christian's streaming uh, Java, soft, uh, Java application that would write it to the queue, and then Storm would read it from the queue. Because Storm is inherently, and this is important to note if you want to use it, it, it wants to pull, it doesn't want to push. So it's a subscriber, not necessarily a publisher. Um, at the spout level, at least. Like, the spouts want to consume from some sort of a queue or some sort of a database or something like that um, and aren't necessarily laid out well to to have uh, data pushed to them instead. So um, that's what I need to... I need to add that what's called a Kafka queue or a Kafka queue, I'm not sure how to say it, in between the Twitter and the, the spout that I have here. Uh, but that's something that I, I want to work to achieve. And then once that's ready... I think it would be cool to sort of do a, some sort of tutorial that explains, you know, what the what the code we used was, what the libraries are, and have that all in one place. Uh, we'll try and get some of that out with the show notes, I'm sure, but it would be nice to kind of go into a little bit more detail and have this uh, to refer to if you ever wanted to do something similar just for fun or to have an example for for uh, enterprise as well. Definitely. All right. Looks good. I'm still... A little sad that uh, I got passed up by Christian in just about 60 days or so. But uh, it's a good run. And, you know, Christian, I've actually tried doing what you're doing, because I've heard you say it a couple times. So I've tried doing what you're doing manually. And it does work, right? Whether it's machine or manual. Yep. Um, I get. I, I haven't had as much luck with, you know, tracking down the one-to-one the, the one, -to -one followers, what you're saying, finding those in my particular niche. This is kind of part of my problem too. I think big data and cybersecurity has a very active uh, niche group in it and you've got some credibility in that group and so when you when you jump in there they immediately follow back. I don't know if in the gadget space or is in the tech space that's a little wider, it's a little murkier, it's a little messier, there's kind of more people out there. I'm not sure that works as well. I, I went out a couple nights ago and uh, and hit 60 or 70 people with using that methodology, and I just got a handful of followbacks, mm -hmm. um, enough to kind of give me an extra day before you passed me, mm -hmm. but uh, <laughs> not uh, not a lot. So there are I've kind of been listening to that methodology a little bit to say, could I apply that? I'm not sure I've got the the cred, so to speak, or the clout, if we want to use that terminology. I'm not sure I've got the clout in that space to make that necessarily work for me. Do you feel like uh, that's true and that you you couldn't just apply this to every situation? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the key with uh, it was for me, but it is in general, is to find, like, regardless of the area, find really specific keywords that you know only your community would tweet about, right? So if we're talking about gadgetry, 
maybe a combination of someone using a Surface Pro 3 hashtag and like a, a Fitbit or a um, you know some combination of those words or you know that's you you look for words that your people so to speak would talk about and that kind of helps you find you know the get get down deeper than just people having really bland conversations but yeah it's a it's an evolving process I mean I definitely had to rotate my keywords out a couple times before I found what worked best well, now that I say that, and then I just had a follower pop up, so <laughs> it's, it's uh, somebody just jumped in there and uh, and followed me. So um, it, interesting, and and I have been messing around with keywords like you know um, you know the gadget and the tech and the podcast and the you know just a variety of uh, those keywords to see what uh, what actually you know what kind of hits it for me. What I don't have is all the and I've looked for some mechanisms that would work for me um, that I wouldn't have to write this code, you know. So I looked at the Zapiers, I looked at the if this and that to see if I could get those things to make to work for me from an average guy solution. Uh, not not much success yet. Yeah, it's a little more a little more complicated than that. And I mean, I tried looking at some of the basic stuff too. With that I created a Zapier free account, and I mean, I just couldn't get it to do the level of kind of. The specific rules I wanted, I just you needed to write it up yourself. So, do you feel like when you with all these bots on Twitter, because I, I don't really use it, and I'm just curious, do you feel like it's uh, it improves the quality of the conversations that you have, or these um, you know social interactions that you have? Or the quality of the conversation is not what's important; it's the number of followers, man. That's true. I mean, whatever you're into, according to Christian. That's well, all. That I mean, some of them seem useful. I, I know there's like bots for that that repost breaking news and stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely had an impact on like what articles I read for the day and stuff, which I find interesting, like how other people's conversations can influence. But I mean, I've definitely had some like cool and weird conversations on Twitter. But like, I don't think the bots detract from having human conversation. I think they can augment to all the noise that's in the data, but. You know, like there are some really useful bots out there that, like for example, the Security Cast Now tweet uh, Twitter account is a bot that tweets every time a new show is playing, and we retweet any time Cyber Frontiers is being re-aired on uh, Security Cast Now. So that's an example of a bot that's useful to uh, a lot of people, and to the point where you know there's over a thousand people who follow that bot just to know when certain shows are airing on that radio. So yeah, they have a lot of different uses. Well, and Christian, I use Zapier to get that every time. You know, it it waits for that keyword to pop up in their Twitter stream, and then right. I retweet it. Right. And um, I we haven't we've been doing that for well, first I started that on the average guy dot or no on my own uh, Jay Collison, and I'm pretty quick to get feedback from listeners when I start spamming them on Twitter. They they let me know pretty quick. So and that's not a bad thing. Uh, um, from that standpoint, I love to get the feedback. I try a lot of automated processes on my Twitter account, and uh, so I quickly move that over to the Average Guy TV because I advertise that Twitter account as being automatic. I don't, I don't hide it. I say, guys, this is an automatic account that that uh, tweets sometimes when the show is going live, and I use it. You know, I use it for those purposes. What's amazing to me is even though I disclose that, I get people who follow it. Must right. be automatic, right? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it. It's fair to say it is, but. Um, yeah, I mean, my number one rule with Twitter is you can never 100%. You can't make a rule that's going to apply to all people on Twitter. It's just yeah. not possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except for that, they're all users of Twitter. Well, and there's a little gamification of it, right? I mean, it's it, people game in the system for sure. Uh, Ashton, and I think that gets to your point, right? That it's like, so is it improving the conversation or taking away from it, right? I think. Sometimes it takes away, but I mean, look at tonight with what's going on in Ferguson. I mean, it's pretty easy to follow uh, the, you know, a stream or a hashtag, just hashtag Ferguson, and you could get a pretty good idea of what's going on there right now. I'm, I think they've started burning vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on right now? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess to, for certain things it is helpful. I just feel like. Per I don't know, but I feel like personally it would kind of... If you're not going for the... If you're the, the, the reader and not the one going for max followers, uh, it might be irritating to have these, like, these bots. 
because well, they don't but that's really serve Christian, you. I think is trying to say even with the bots, you're trying to make it not annoying. Right. You know? So he's got some things put in place. You know, not everybody's tracking Twitter all the time. Although I'm surprised sometimes I, you know, for a while I would tweet when when uh, like uh, this show comes out, I load up eight tweets that go that have various. Um, I try, I'm trying to get people to, to retweet them. And so they've got various, you know, derivations of, of stuff in them. And I was doing that through the at the Jay Collison account. And I somebody caught me the other day, and they're like, hey, are you tweeting the same thing out like every <laughs> two hours? And I'm like, actually, it's every hour. And <laughs> yes, I am doing that in an attempt to get the various social platforms to retweet me. I've, I've tagged on purpose uh, Twitter accounts that have high followers to see if I can get them to retweet. Uh, so far, no. So far, I haven't. But you never know. That's the thing with Twitter. You yeah. never know when someone's going to pick it up and grab it, and boom, it's going to go. And and does it matter? I don't know. In some cases, maybe. In some, maybe not. I mean, for you guys with Cyber Frontiers, if I could get, if we could get picked up by an influential person, and they retweet it. That might mean a couple hundred new listeners. You know? right. Yeah. Definitely shooting for. So, I think you just got to keep trying, right, Christian? I mean, I think this is the point. You got to keep kind of doing it without alienating too many people in the process, in the hope that someone sees it. I mean, I follow as many as follow me, and my Twitter stream moves at about about ten a second at this point. So, could I read every single one? Not a chance. Right. Right. Somebody is, because Twitter advertisements working. <laughs> yeah. You know. Apparently, allegedly. Yep. So, all right. Well, that's some that's some good stuff. Anything else from either one of you before I kind of wrap this up? Sounds like a wrap to me. All right. Ashton, Christian, thanks again for uh, schooling me on uh, on all this stuff. I, I, Christian, I'm still waiting for the average guy version of what you've got that I can just plug some things in and it'll just work for. Maybe that's your next platform, man. Yeah, you should just generalize it so that you just put the terms that you want in and. Figures it out. What do you think? Can you do that for me? Yeah, I mean, I've actually been thinking about how I could maybe make this a little web service for some people to maybe authorize their Twitter accounts and yeah. have some fun with it. Yeah, you don't, you know, let, don't let everybody in. Well, you should right. give Jim the. Uh, I mean, if you're really interested in beating him out, you should give him like the the toned down version, <laughs> so that he can't yeah. catch you again. <laughs> The free version would never allow me to catch Christian. It would, it would monitor his account, and then every time I got close, it would put the brakes on. Right? You'd and get a free, a, a few, a few nasty boom. tweets, and it'd be like, oh, boom, yeah. just unfollowed me. Hmm. And that's another thing I have noticed a lot recently. There is a, there is a movement on Twitter to unfollow, and people do it. People are doing whether it's automatic or manually. They are going in and unfollowing people if there's no traffic or whatever. So, I get while I get 20 or 30 follows a day. Sometimes I get that many. No, not that many. I get a handful of unfollows at the same time. Right. So, kind of offsets it. So, it is a little. Twitter's interesting. I think you really got to evaluate it and and work with it and figure out what you're going to do and and spend some time. Certainly, we've had a good conversation about it tonight. I'll remind you that uh, we do Cyber Frontiers every second Monday, pretty on a very, very regular schedule now. And uh, the best way to keep up with it is to uh, just head out to theaverageguy.tv. We have a little calendar widget. And when I schedule it with these guys, uh, we throw that out there. That's kind of the best way to do it. Of course, if you can't make it live, we'd love to have you subscribe. And if you're listening to this now, you've probably subscribed in some way. So you want to say... Thank you for doing that. But if you stumbled across this, maybe you on the Security Cast, you're listening to us live on Security Cast or um, wherever else, Stitcher or TuneIn or any of those other services that are out there. We'd love to have you come out and subscribe uh, out at theaverageguy.tv, all one word, theaverageguy.tv, slash subscribe. We'll get you there. Well, sign up for the newsletter while you're at it. I'll send you a monthly update on what's going on here on the network. And uh, we'd love to have you uh, come out and uh, do that as well. And then uh, we just want to remind you again, if you want to use our Amazon affiliate link, that helps us support the Average Guy Scholarship Fund, a tech scholarship fund. We can buy equipment for folks. They can test it out, write about it, or use it on the show, as Ashton is there in his 
dorm room there at the yep. University of Maryland. It's out at theaverageguy.tv slash Amazon, and we did have somebody in Canada. We've, we've been sporting this new Canadian link at theaverageguy.tv slash AmazonCA. We do have some folks buy some stuff on that, so we want to say thanks if you're... That only works in Canada. It doesn't work in the U.S., only in Canada. But uh, somebody did that, and uh, John let me know we are. Uh, John Zadler is the beneficiary of that... that um, that affiliate link, and he will purchase, when we get enough money, he'll purchase stuff that uh, he will test and bring on. In fact, John's coming back in January. I just confirmed at this point we're bringing LastPass back on in January, so they're going to be coming on. Well, not here. Over, uh, I, I For a second, I thought I was on Home Gadget Geeks. Sorry, guys. I was breaking into my Home Gadget Geeks exit and not my Cyber Frontiers. Do you guys have any guests you thought through? We got anybody coming up that you know of, or are we, we, it's Christmas time, right? It's going to get Yeah, tough. I mean, it's going to be hard with the finals uh, March as well, but I think we'll try and peg some for January. Yeah, sounds good. All right, we're live uh, every other Monday out at TheAverageGuy.tv, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, or whenever we can get to it based on world events that are going on tonight. And we'll be back in two weeks. And we want to say thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night.